This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast brought to you by the Engineering Management Institute, where we focus on helping engineers and technical professionals become effective managers and powerful leaders. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers and technical professionals who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, I talk with Daniel Priestley, best-selling author and global entrepreneur, and Daniel's talking about how to become a key person of influence in your industry, in whatever you do. And I don't know about you, but I've always thought it's really important as an engineering professional, as a technical professional, to be seen as a person of influence, especially if you want to drive your projects to that next level, or if you want to have stakeholders or constituents invest in your project or hire your company or whatever situation you're in, you need influence. And Daniel's going to walk you through his five-step formula for how you can build influence. Awesome episode. We spent quite a bit of time on this. And I really, what I love about this is as an engineer myself, I love that he has a formula for this. And that's exactly what he's going to walk us through. So I'm excited to share this interview with you today. But before we get into the main segment of our show, I do want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, PPI. Actually, what I want to tell you to do is to remember to stick around later on in this podcast for my essential career advancement tips. I'll be sharing info on where to find practical advice and the best resources for your licensure exam including an exclusive 20% discount available only to my listeners, thanks to PPI. You won't want to miss it. Also, I do just want to let you know, we've been getting a lot of emails from our listeners about our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. You did not miss the last one, even though it's the summer. Don't worry. We have another session that is starting in September, September 14th. So if you go to engineer2manager.com, you can sign up if you click individuals. If you're an individual engineer wanting to sign up, you can do that in a matter of minutes. You can reserve your spot. If you work for a company and you think your company might want to enroll a corporate team, just click on the corporate tab and you can put a note into us and we will contact you and help you to get enrolled as well. 90% of our participants in the workshop have been reimbursed by their companies because we're teaching them how to build their management skills. Every engineer and technical professional needs these skills for themselves and for their companies. It's positive for everybody. So check it out at engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. And if it's not for you, if your company is interested in something custom, something specific, we can do that as well. And you can always contact our offices at 201-857-2384. All right, now, before I jump into my conversation here with Daniel Priestley, I'd like to introduce him to you formally so you can understand his expertise and his background. Daniel Priestley started out as an entrepreneur at age 21, and he built a multi-million dollar event marketing and management business before the age of 25. A successful entrepreneur, international speaker, and best-selling author, Daniel has built and sold businesses in Australia, Singapore, and the United Kingdom. Having a passion for global small business, Daniel is the co-founder of Dent Global, which runs world-leading business accelerators and events. Dent has teams in the UK, USA, Singapore, and Australia, and they work with over a thousand entrepreneurs and business leaders each year to develop their businesses. And he's going to give you an example of an engineer that he worked with to raise his status and his expertise. 
Daniel is the author of three best-selling books, Key Person of Influence, Entrepreneur Revolution, and Oversubscribed. And now I want to give you a quote to take you into my interview with Daniel. The quote is from Lori Buchanan. Never underestimate the influence you have on others. And listen, the bottom line is, and we talk about this in the interview, as an engineer, you have the ability to influence a lot of people. But will you use it? Will you create that influential force that you need to be able to do that? And that's exactly what you're going to hear Daniel talk about right now. All right, now I am thrilled to welcome in best-selling author and very well-known entrepreneur, Daniel Priestley, to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Daniel, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming, Daniel. We know you're very busy. You've been out there you know, spreading some awesome messages, which is the reason, of course, that we reached out to you. One of those messages is you're a key person of influence and you're helping many people become more influential. And that's what we want to talk about today. But before we get into that, I, of course, kind of gave our listeners your bio, but just in your own words, maybe you could take us on a quick ride through your career and how you got here. My background is as an entrepreneur. I started my first company at age 21 after doing two years in a very fast growth startup from 19 to 21. I launched a company. It uh, grew very rapidly. We went from zero to a million dollars in our first 12 months and about from one to 10 million in the three years after that. It was a national business in Australia. So we're in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. And then after I left that business or got out of that business, I came to London in the United Kingdom and launched a training organization. I was very fortunate to be mentored by a gentleman who had built three multi-billion pound businesses from scratch. Quite extraordinary guy. And uh, I wanted to expose the entrepreneurial community to that level of thinking. And I basically ran some training events with him. He was my mentor. And then that kind of emerged into an entrepreneurial community which turned into an entrepreneur accelerator in 2010. Today, I run that accelerator in seven cities around the world. We have a team of about 50 people. Um, we have a, a division that also makes films and IT projects, and we publish about four to 500 books globally. So that's kind of like an extension of that business. But the core of the business is that we have about 3,000 clients globally. We work with their businesses to accelerate through the entrepreneurial journey. We have about 30 on the core mentoring team who are very esteemed entrepreneurs who take people through that journey. And I guess I'm well known for having written four best-selling books on entrepreneurship. Bestsellers here in the UK, less so in, in the US. You've been a very busy man in recent history here. And you've, I know you've reached a lot of people. And what we're going to talk about today is one of your books specifically, and one of the things you talk about is becoming a key person of influence. That's something that's very important for engineers and technical professionals. I mean, really, in this day and age, it's important for everybody. But in terms of our listeners, they're looking to stand out in their firms. They need to lead firms. I mean, there's obviously tons of engineering challenges around the world that we're facing, whether it's infrastructure, technology. I mean, I could go on and on, water, et cetera. People need to stand out if they want to make it. So I know that it's a book. It's a method. There's a formula. How did you decide to get into this exact topic to help people with this? There's a few things, really. When I was organizing events, I would get a constant stream of people who wanted to be on stage and they wanted to speak. And I had to get really selective about who we would put on stage. And you know, we would have audiences of 500 to 1,000 people. So a lot of people wanted to be on our stage. And I kind of developed a criteria as to who is the right person to 
focus energy on. And that was around the five P's that are in the book, the Pitch Publish Product Profile Partnership. And basically, that was my criteria as to who we selected. When I shared that criteria with people who wanted to be speakers, they often said, wow, thank you. I wish someone had spelt that out to me sooner because I could have just developed those five areas and I would have been doing a lot better. So I started kind of developing a bit of content around those five things. And that eventually turned into the book. For your listeners, it's really important to know that a lot of our clients are technical. We have people who are auditors and actuaries. We have people who are engineers. We have a lot of medical professionals, you know, doctors, dentists. We have uh, people who are technology specialists and have a a special skill in, you know, coding and design, those sorts of things. So we have a lot of technicians, people with technical expertise who come through our programs. And really, it's about, you know, sometimes you hear the term key person of influence and you think to yourself, oh, that must be one of those kind of self-aggrandulizing people who wants to be in the spotlight. And, you know, a lot of technical people say, well, you know, I resist that idea. I don't really want to be that kind of person. And I just want to kind of clarify that a key person of influence is not someone who wants to be in the spotlight. It's someone who wants to shine the spotlight on something. A lot of your listeners may have an engineering solution that they just can't, you know, they're dumbfounded that this idea hasn't been given more traction. They're sitting there saying, I know the solution to this problem. Why aren't more people getting excited about it? And it's not about trying to put yourself in the spotlight. It's about doing all the right things to get that idea to be adopted, that idea to be accepted, to get buy-in from your peers and from all the different stakeholders to make sure that you are able to influence them to make the right decision. I'm an engineer myself, and I know from working with a lot of engineers that you can be the best engineer in the world in terms of a designer, but if you can't sell your stakeholders and the citizens on your ideas, your projects, then you can design everything you want, and it's not going to get implemented, and it's not going to help anyone. So what you're saying is, I think, exactly applicable to our listeners here because they do have to get in touch with stakeholders, and it's not the easiest thing for them to do because... We're technical by background. We don't have the training for that. And what I love about your process is that it is a process, that you've taken something that can look like a mountain when you're staring up at it. How am I going to become this person of influence? And you've broken it down into this kind of formula or these steps, which I know, again, speaking as an engineer myself, makes me feel like I can accomplish something when I have a very clear pathway to accomplishing it. And I'm sure that you found that that's helpful for people to walk through it. Many people have actually described our process as being an engineered process for achieving more influence. So, you know, we use a lot of models and frameworks that kind of are engineering their design frameworks. That's the key. Break it down so that it doesn't require any flamboyance or you can just paint by numbers with this. All right. So, Daniel, why don't we walk through these five steps? And just so everyone knows, we're going to link to a page on Daniel's website that will show you this overview and you can download a portion of his book This way you can dive into it even deeper, but we're going to run through these five here now. So where do you want to start, Danny? What's the best way to go through this? Yeah, let's start with the first one. The first one is pitching. So pitching is a cornerstone influencing skill. It's the ability to pitch an idea so that people are clear, they know that you're credible, they understand the problem, they understand the solution, they understand a bit of depth as to why you're coming from that angle, they understand the opportunity in it. Pitching is the ability to put an idea into someone else's head and have them get excited about it. You don't get great uptake of any idea if you can't pitch it powerfully. You know, you look at the partnership between Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, and Steve Wozniak was incredibly technically gifted at the time, 
and would create technology that had a place in the world, obviously. But it was the gift that Steve Jobs brought to the table of being able to simplify it in his language and be able to get people to adopt the idea that they wanted to you know, invest in a computer. And it was his ability to pitch these ideas that kind of got the traction that it needed. Steve Wozniak, obviously, was the technical genius, but it was Steve Jobs who had the ability to pitch the idea. And Elon Musk in modern time, you know, he's an engineer who knows how to pitch. He knows how to get people excited about an idea, and he's got that skill. A lot of our listeners, in a sense, many of you work in large companies and you're working on global engineering projects, and you kind of have to do both of these things. You have to be the technical person and you have to be this person of influence to get these ideas sold. So you need to kind of be the Elon Musk type of person where if you have global projects you're working on, you need to be able to sell them. And that's kind of what we're working through here. So you got to pitch. Big time. And here's the problem, right? So engineering people, a classic error of the engineering mindset is that if I explain the idea to you in its technical form, you will see it as a self-evident solution and you'll just get on board and you'll just buy into it. And all I have to do is just technically explain it to you. And that's all that's required. And then engineering people or some engineering people then scratch their head and go, I can't believe it. I explained it really clearly. And this is getting no traction. In fact, they're going with a completely different solution that won't work. Why does that happen, Dan? Well, there's a few things. So a great pitch starts with a couple of ingredients that are often left out. So the first two ingredients that we like to go in with the pitch is clarity and authority. So clarity and authority means clarity is to explain the idea as a top-level concept really simply so that pretty much anyone could explain it and to assume no prior knowledge. So essentially giving the headline, this is what I'm going to talk to you about. Especially if you're pitching to an executive, an executive might have an MBA. They're thinking business model, profit, they're thinking organization, culture, systems, uh, scale. You know, they're kind of thinking in those terms. And they're essentially, in any given day, they might have all sorts of stuff buzzing across their desk. So the ability to sort of start with just clarity. What we're talking about is creating something that is safe, affordable, and that could be replicated in multiple locations. And we're going to be talking about particularly this project, just really recapping just the headlines of the project so that everyone has clarity. One mistake I see people make is that they sort of like launch into a pitch, assuming that everyone's read the brief, everyone's read the 15-page document that got circulated on email, and 90% of people haven't read it. So they're spending the first five minutes just trying to figure out what the hell does this relate to. So clarity is a key ingredient that we need to start with. And just we need to create the context for what it is that we're pitching and make sure that everyone's on board there. The other thing too is authority. So now this is one that engineers typically hate to do, but it means that you credentialize yourself and you build a little bit of authority before going into the guts of the pitch. Authority might be that you say, you know, I'm going to share with you a few solutions that we could look at. And I've drawn upon, I've worked with this organization for 15 years. Prior to that, I did 10 years working in this. And at the moment, I'm working very closely with John Smith, who's got an advanced knowledge of this particular topic. So it's essentially just laying down a few credentials, a few, you know, a reason that I should listen to you. And I know you shouldn't have to do that, but in the real world, just people kind of need that little bit of a jolt of this person knows what they're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I think 
very much, especially for engineers. I mean, reputation is a big thing, obviously, in engineering, your credentials, your expertise. Everyone's looking for that. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes it, you can sort of say, you know, it might even feel awkward and you might say it's a little bit awkward to mention my background, but I do want to just sort of share that as you're assessing some of the things that I'm saying, I just want to share that I have experience in 15 of these projects and I've really kind of worked across a budget of you know $1.5 billion in this particular area. So it's just kind of just letting people know and consider it like this as well. If you were to sit down with a doctor and the doctor says, look, we've examined the lump on your leg and uh, we're going to have to operate and, and we're going to have to remove the lump. But I want you to know I've done a thousand of these operations before. I lecture at the local university to medical students about this type of operation. And we have success rate that's you know 99.9% success rate at getting this lump removed without any issues whatsoever. So the doctor is telling you that, not so that, you know, being braggadocious, they're not sitting there saying, you know, look at me, check out my credentials, check out who I am, check out my experience because I want you to know how great I am. They're telling you this to put you at ease so you can relax and trust the advice. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I know in that situation, I'd feel much more comfortable. Exactly, right? So when an engineer does a pitch and they don't credentialize themselves, it's not allowing people to relax and trust the advice. It's just kind of hitting them with some information. And, and essentially, you take or leave the information. But when you credentialize yourself and share your experience, your background, where your perspective's coming from, then it allows people to, to just relax and trust the advice. So then in the next part of the pitch, you want to go into problems and solutions. You don't just want to jump straight into the solution. You don't want to say, this is the answer. You want to restate, look, some of the key problems and concerns with this project is one, two, three, four, five. These are the issues. You know, There's an issue around budget constraint, but there's also an issue around safety and regulation. There's also an issue around available time that we've got to do this project. So these are the key considerations, and these are the problems that we face in delivering this project on time and on budget. And the way we've addressed that is that we think that the best solution is to do this, 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 and this, which really kind of addresses all of those key considerations and key problems. So restate the problem before going into solution. Now, conversely, what most engineers are doing is they're jumping straight to solution. I've had experience with this people on my team as well. You know, I might have one of my IT guys come up to me and just say, hey, we need to do this. And I go, what? And he'll go, yeah, we need to spend this amount of money and do this project and put this in place. And I'm sitting there going, okay, why? And how much? And is it essential? And all of this kind of stuff. So I'm defensive. When you jump straight to solutions, people can often get defensive. However, if someone takes the time to say, listen, we've been experiencing these three or four key problems. I've thought about it, applied some experience to it. I've asked around some other people who've got experience with those problems and we've come up with this solution. Then it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. That's good because I can see engineers cutting to the chase because we're interested in solutions and the stakeholders don't always have the same depth of knowledge that we have. Like the example you just gave, you're not an IT expert. They are. So I can see how that's really important. Yeah. So we've covered clarity, authority, problem, solution. So I use the acronym CAPSTONE, uh, clarity, authority, problem, solution. And then the T stands for the why. I know it's a bit awkward or a bit, uh, you know, a bit sloppy, but it stands for the why. So as in, is there any deeper reason why this works or is there anything else that makes this less about the commercials or the technical aspects, but more about values? So this sometimes applies, it, other times it doesn't apply. So like, for example, let's say 
the project is to put a skateboarding park into a local council. And you might say, look, here's the constraints, here's the problems, here's the budget, here's the timeframes, here's the solution, here's what we think we can do. I've spoken to the experts, blah, blah, blah. But the why would be where you would say, and one of the other key things is that we talked about uh, this council has a core value around community engagement. And that's actually stated on the website as one of the highest core values. So I think it's also really important that we do it this particular way in order to line up with the core value of community engagement. So that's kind of like taking it just a little bit out of the technical and lining it up with the values that are also important. Like what you're doing with this whole formula is you're making it easier to act on it. That's the key. Yeah. And it involves sitting down and actually pulling out a piece of paper and actually kind of writing the letters capstone down the page and just thinking about one or two points in each of these categories. So we've got clarity, authority, problem, solution, the why. The next one is opportunity. So essentially, here's when we can start. Here's what we can do. Here's basically, here's the opportunity to act on this. So the opportunity might be that we're going to go and do this whole project, but the next steps is spelling out for people who are listening. The next step is we need a feasibility study. The next step is we need to apply for planning. The next step is we, we need to get approval for the budget. So just really kind of outlining what is the next thing that has to be agreed. And then essence is the E. And the essence is just kind of like leaving people not on a high, but on a positive note, not leaving people in a world of technical jargon or leaving people in a world of technicality, but kind of finishing on an upbeat on the essence of the relationship is the reason I use the word essence. The other one could be emotion or when we work with entrepreneurs, the essence really re reflects the essence of their brand. So we're talking about getting back to the essence of the brand. It's just simply finish a pitch on a high point. Finish a pitch. You might simply say this particular project is really a great project to work on because in essence, it's about creating community engagement, which is why we're all here. You know, something along those lines. It doesn't have to be cheesy, but it's really powerful to finish something, to punctuate something with that kind of nice big picture. This is what it's really about. You want to really hit home at the end and really drive home the emotional side of why someone's going to want to move in that direction, essentially. Yeah, and it's just getting back to big picture. And the reason we want to just discuss that final point is because we always remember the end of a meeting or the end of how something finished. And if someone felt overwhelmed by the technical side of it or the, the budget was bigger than they expected or the time frame's gone wrong, their memory of that meeting and their memory of that pitch is that it was a pain. It was disappointing. It was something was wrong. Something's frustrating. Something's technical and, and difficult to solve. And provided you end on a fairly positive note, that's another way we could do E, end on a positive note. Provided you end on a positive note, people remember you, you personally, as someone who's positive, And they think, I want this person in, in the meeting again. I want this person to be at the decision-making table again because they made me feel positive. That's good. I think it's a really good, uh, that capstone makes it, again, easy to follow. Yeah. And so many times I've gone into a meeting and I've just pulled out a napkin and I've just put the letters capstone down. I've made one or two points on each of those. And I've had a really good conversation as a result. All right. So that's your first. Now, the second step is publish. So the second P is publish. Yeah. So the second P is publish. This is about getting your ideas into print. And it could be publishing white papers, publishing documents publishing a book. So one of our clients was actually one of the head engineers for the Olympics 2012 here in London. And he was in charge of making sure that the Olympic Stadium in East London was on time, on budget and was a successful project. 
we really encouraged him to create a, a special book called Will It Stand Up? It was about all the challenges and obstacles and things that had to be overcome in order to have a successful you know, stadium, the Olympics. It's a book a bit about the engineering. It's a book about the project management. All of those sorts of things are in the book. Regardless of whether this particular gentleman has many readers or not, let's say nobody reads it. The reality is, is that even if nobody read that book, a lot of people will respect the fact that he wrote the book. And it really puts a flag in the sand. I worked on this project. I led this project. And I'm able to write a book about the creation of an Olympic stadium. Now, it was funny because I knew this gentleman for probably three or four hours in the orientation session of our uh, accelerator. And he was talking about all different projects. And essentially, he was talking about the future of the projects he was planning on working on and the types of projects he wanted to win next. And about the three or four hour mark, it came up, oh, yeah, I was the head engineer on the Olympics 2012 stadium. And I'm sitting there going, how come you didn't share that? He goes, oh, well, you know, it was a few years ago now. I'm like, yeah, okay, it was a few years ago. It's still relevant. It's still an incredible achievement. You know, you should mark that achievement. You shouldn't let that just slip away. And you shouldn't make it hard for people to know you've done that because it certainly changes my view on you know, everything you're saying and everything you'd like to achieve. So we really encourage him to write that book and publish that. If you Google his name now, you end up with a, you know, that he's an author on Amazon and you see the book and you read the blurb. And if you read the book and the blurb, you know this guy's super credible. He's a typical engineer. He would never brag about this stuff or discuss this stuff. You could spend days with him and he'd never let slip that he's done this kind of project. It was a great achievement for us to get him to write the book. So that's an example of publishing at the top level. You know, even a bit more basic is even just producing really good quality content for people to get on the same page as your idea. If you're going to be circulating information that's highly technical, you know, you really want to be the person who's really good at writing an executive summary, you know, something that people can kind of just digest easily. And if you're publishing good content, if you're publishing blogs, publishing articles, or publishing executive summaries of technical information, that's highly valuable. And there's a lot of ways to do this today, of course, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but LinkedIn is such a good avenue for engineers and technical professionals in terms of being able to, whether your company has a blog and you can author articles on that blog and you can share them on LinkedIn or you do a few LinkedIn articles or whatever the case may be, but it's becoming easier to be able to write and publish. Granted, I understand that the there's more people doing it, but there are ways for engineers to do this that we just need to kind of get more comfortable with and start to leverage because they're available. Yeah, so the third P is to productize. Productize is really when we work with entrepreneurs, they have to think about their service as a product. They have to think like a product. And it's about understanding the outcomes that they create and really kind of being able to sell the outcome and think in terms of outcome as opposed to think in terms of process. So to be a successful engineer, you have to think in terms of process and how to get from point A to point B. But when you're talking in the language of products, you're talking in the language of outcomes. So we really encourage people to think about what they do as like a product. What does it produce? The second thing we really want people to do where appropriate, and you know sometimes this is appropriate for your listeners, sometimes not, is but to create some product brochures. And product brochures, essentially, the brochure, you can sell a penthouse apartment that's not even built off of the right brochure, right? So if I'm a property developer, I can sit there and show you a brochure for a penthouse apartment. And we haven't even broke dirt on the ground. We've not laid the foundations for the building. And yet I'm, I'm getting $3 million for the property penthouse that's going to exist in 18 months from now. 
but in order to sell that, I need the brochure. I need a beautiful brochure that shows me this is what it's going to look like. These are the features. These are the advantages. These are the benefits. And the more that's printed in a beautiful, glossy material, it feels real to me. So where possible, anything that's a really big project that needs a lot of people to buy in and it involves big budgets, one of the best things you can do is work with a design team to create a brochure for the project where everyone can just pick up that nice glossy brochure and just have a look at this is what we're building. And nothing kills a project faster than a half-inch pile of technical information printed on A4 black and white paper. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is, again, goes back to a little bit what we were talking about when we started talking, which is a lot of times as an engineer, you'll need to sell your projects and that's what you need your influence for. So, you know, in essence, your products and your services, I mean, that's what you're selling and you need to be able to show your potential stakeholders the benefits of these services. What are they providing? Like, what if we made your water cleaner? What if we made your traffic flow more effective and more efficient. Look at all the benefits and then you can maybe get your funding for it. And many times what happens is in terms of what Daniel's talking about is engineers will have very elaborate visualizations or renderings done for their projects, kind of like a brochure like he's referring to. And that's something that can really mean a lot when you're trying to sell something is you need to show people what the outcome, what outcomes can come out of what you're doing. And don't bury those renderings in a pile of information. Make sure you create something that looks like a product brochure that kind of captures all the highlights and all the best bits of what the project is about and captures it all in that kind of document that really sells the top line of the project. That all the renderings in one place, that it looks nice, it's printed on beautiful glossy in a heavy uh, full color paper stock. You know, you might work with someone who's got a little bit of a marketing flair to create the content kind of puts it into everyday language. But the more you're creating those kind of documents, the easier it is to influence. All right. And then number four is profile. Tell us about that. Yeah. So profile. So there's a saying that we have with our clients, which is you are who Google says you are. And what that really means is that if I sit down and have an amazing meeting with you and we talk about all these key ideas and you pitch it really well, and I'm, you know, really buying into the project. But let's say the project involves a sign-off, a million dollars, whatever, maybe $10 million. Quite often, before I go ahead and do that, I'm going to Google you. You know, who is this guy? Now, a couple of things could happen. You could get a negative response, you know, that there's some complaints or there's some bad press, in which case that's going to kill the deal. You could get absolutely nothing, in which case that's going to make me rethink the deal. You could get the stock standard LinkedIn and Facebook blocked profile and a Twitter account that has 112 people on it, and that's it. In which case, I'm going to go, okay, this is someone who's just a, a nice person going out there doing projects as best they can. Or what you really want is that page one is really full of blogs, articles, news items. There's some profile for you that basically you've been featured in some industry press. You know, you've given some interviews some, to some blogs. All of that's appearing on page one. If I hit the images, it's got like five or six photos of you. It might be that you're speaking at an event. There might be a little video where you're explaining and, and doing a walkthrough of one of your projects. If I click on the news items, there might be a couple of industry news magazines that have featured your name. You know, and in which case, if I look at that and I see a number of really positive, you know, profile building elements. I'm going to say, this is exactly the person I need to work on with this project. This person's got profile. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's like instant credibility when you do that search and you see those things. Yep. And there's a few little things you can do with this. So every project you ever work on, you want to get the photos, get the write-up, get the images, get a bit of a case study written up, and you want to post that in a few different places. And you want to take those images and you actually want to, let's say you take a image of a particular engineering project you've worked on, you want to rename the file with your name in it. Typical image file might have, you know, a file name of AX7164, etc., etc. You want to rename that file Anthony Fasano and actually have Anthony Fasano engineer so that if someone Googles, that image then gets brought up in the image search. And maybe it's a picture of a bridge or it's a picture of a building, but it's actually I'm Googling your name and, and engineering projects are coming up. Yeah, no, this is important. And the reason I really like this point is because I see what happens a lot of times with engineers and technical professionals is that we get so bogged down in our projects that we forget about doing some of these things that can contribute to our influence, to our ability to get more projects, bigger projects, different projects, just because we're so stuck in the hamster wheel of actually doing our projects. We don't have time to like have the forethought and the vision to think about this. So I'm glad that you're making these points. It's important. And you're not punctuating the project, right? So you get to the end of a project and sure enough, when the project is final and it's complete, you've already moved on to another project and you're, you know, you've got your head down in that. So you might take a moment to go, oh, that's really great. That project is now launched and I'm, you know, I'm really proud of that. But you don't stop and write it up as a case study, get the photos, get any videos of it. Really smart move is to just capture the case study. So, you know, like my friend who didn't really do anything with the fact that he built a stadium for the Olympics, you know, he just moved on to the next project in typical engineer fashion. And he didn't stop and, and get case studies, testimonials, reviews from the newspapers. Like he didn't capture any of that stuff. He didn't capture what the press was saying about the project. And we had to force him to go back and get all that stuff together in order to put the book together. But, it, you know, so fortunate for him that it was such a high profile project that he was able to go and find a lot of press clippings and things like that. But for most people, if they don't do it in the moment, then they lose that case study. You can easily start like a OneNote or Evernote file or something. And when you're going through your projects, cut and paste some things into that file so that you're just accumulating this information about your projects that then you can go back later and you can either use it to clean up your LinkedIn profile or do different things with, but you got to keep them like Daniel's saying, because once you get done with the project and you move on to the next one, you're going to get buried in the next one. Exactly. The last of the P's is partnership. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So projects happen in the spirit of partnership and partnership is all about understanding the needs of others and them understanding your needs in order to really find some agreement around what the partnership should look like. Taking extra time to really find out what's important to all the parties is a huge step in having influence. So for example, your concern as an engineer might be to build the technically best solution to the project brief. And the person who's in charge of the project, their most important concern might be just budget. So purely and simply, they don't care what's technically correct. They care what fits the budget. I'll give you an example of this. An engineer that I know was hell-bent on creating a skate park for a local council that would be a really world-class skate park that would actually attract kids to come and use it, and it would be a great community focal point. And he'd done his research on the skate parks, and he'd like figured out how high they need to be and how much 
you know, all of these technical elements that he had put into this. And he was really selling the elements of this is the skate park that we need to build in order for this to be a viable project. And the people who were in charge of the project, they actually didn't care if kids used it. They were ticking a box. They had basically, you know, got some feedback from the community that there needed to be more stuff for teenagers. They went, okay, great. We can do a skate park. We can afford this budget. They didn't care what a world-class skate park looked like. They just simply cared, is this technically a skate park? Yes. Does it fit the budget? Yes. And job done. If you complain again uh, that we're not doing enough for the community, I can point to the skate park and say, well, we built a skate park. That was their mindset. And this was horrible for my engineer friend. Could not believe that people weren't listening to these arguments that he was making about how the skate park should be done properly. But ultimately, he wasn't listening to their need for it to fit the budget because they basically got offside with each other. He dug his heels in, the person in charge of the project dug their heels in, and guess who won? It's always going to be the person who's got the most you know, senior title and the person who signs off the project. And even though it's a dumb decision, and sure enough, they built a skate park that doesn't get used, but it really came down to the fact that there was no partnership in the thinking or in the discussion. There was no acknowledgement of the other parameters that had to be met. This is a great one too, because we do sometimes act kind of quickly because we want to accomplish our projects, but we don't think about that partnership that creates the best possible project for all parties involved, not just you as the designer who wants to kind of, you want to get your project on on time and under budget, but you also, you know, we want to make sure that these projects are usable. I mean, that's the whole point of being an engineer, creating things that are useful and helpful to the world. I love that idea of just, you got to talk to the other side, figure out what they need before you act on it. Yeah, figure out what is their top criteria, what's most important to you in this project. What are your top three priorities in this particular project? You know, is there anything for you that's immovable, is an absolute must-have in this? So taking the time to really figure out what each person needs from the project in order for it to be a success. You may ask a question, which is, uh, let's fast forward three years from now, and we're looking back on the project, and we go, this is a absolutely successful project. We nailed it. What do you think are the top things that have to happen in order for us to be able to say that? We're talking with Daniel Priestley, best-selling author and well-known entrepreneur, and he's taken us through his five KPI skills, KPI meaning key person of influence in this instance, and we walked through them, which were pitch, talked about you know having to pitch to sell your idea, talked about publish, getting your expertise into writing, talked about your product, which as an engineer, I mean, your product is really the service that you're providing and ultimately whatever you're building, whatever you're helping to be created. We talked about your profile, you know, putting in a little extra effort to get your profile out there. Don't just do your projects, do your projects, get case studies, get testimonials and build that reputation online. And then lastly, you just heard Daniel talk about the importance of a partnership, right? A project is there's two sides to the project and you need to understand what the owner of this project, whatever that, whatever form that might take for you, what the most important thing to them is on the project or the people that the project is serving. Those are the things that you can do to move yourself into being a key person of influence. What we're going to do is we're going to come back here in a minute and wrap up in our take action today segment. Daniel's going to stay with me. We'll wrap this up and Daniel can also give you some info on where you can find out about some of these resources on his website. So we'll be right back.
Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show, my favorite part of the show, where we give you action steps to move on after everything you just heard. And Daniel's actually going to give you two action steps to take. But before he does that, I do want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. Engineering career advancement starts with licensure. The best place to gather info on licensure and pick from multiple review options is PPI2Pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, they have new digital options for exam review that make preparing easier and more exam-like than ever. Visit PPI2Pass.com to learn how you can start preparing for your exam right away and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI2Pass.com. I also have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TECC8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's promo code TECC8 stands for the engineering career coach and the number eight. All right, I'm back now with Daniel Priestley, best-selling author and global entrepreneur. We're talking about becoming a key person of influence. And while Daniel walked you through kind of his five skills that you should build to do this. We know that you're listening to this in the car, you're maybe going to get into work and you want to take some kind of action today. So Daniel, let's get people going here. What's the first thing that they can do to get moving? I want to give people two things that they can do to get really moving. Number one, I want you to script a pitch. So I want you to have a five minute pitch up your sleeve, maybe a 30 second version as well. And I want you to script it, write it up, put it in your phone as a note, record it as an audio file on your phone, maybe even record a video um, of your phone. So whenever you are in a position where somebody says, let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, you have an awesome 30-second pitch. And if ever you're in a position where people say, stand up and give us a presentation, you can begin that presentation with an awesome four or five-minute pitch about who you are and what you've done. Get it scripted, get it in the phone, get it audio, get it video, get it text and have it ready so that if you need to pitch who you are and what you do, it's ready, you're prepared, you can hit those bases we talked about in the podcast. That's awesome. And so important because the attention span of people today is lower, I think, than it's ever been. And so you being prepared to talk about what you do and how you can help people is super important in becoming influential. It's just, you have to be prepared to do that. So that's a great way to kind of wrap up this process. Now, action step number two. I want to share one more. Pick a project that you've done in the last five years and write a blog about it. Get something that you can write up, 500 words, get some images of the project and put that on a LinkedIn blog, put it on a Medium blog, get it published, get it online, write a case study of one of the projects you've been working on. Yeah. And like I said earlier, that's something that we just don't do enough because we're too busy with our projects and we tend to get shuffled right into the next one. But you can greatly benefit, as Daniel talked about, just now, but also earlier on in the interview, people are going to search online. They're going to look up things about you if they're retaining your company, if they're working on a project with you, if they're looking for leading world globally known engineer to do a project. And those are the kind of things that they're going to find online when they search exactly the example that Daniel just gave. So you have the data most likely to get this done. You just need to take the time and it doesn't take very long. You might even consider putting something on your calendar every week in terms of doing this. Like at the end of your week, you're going to review things on your project or monthly or whatever the case may be. Because I know as engineers, we like any kind of process we can wrap our heads around. But 
this is something that I think you just don't want to overlook because the upside here is just tremendous. All right, Daniel, before we let you go, where can our listeners find you, find your books? I guess Amazon's probably a good place to find them all. Yeah, Amazon, the four books are on Amazon. So Key Person of Influence is one of the books. Oversubscribed is a great book about getting too many customers. And uh, 24 Assets is about building a scalable business. So there's a few books there. Entrepreneur Revolution is all about the entrepreneur mindset. So if you're interested in that, that's there as well. Check out some videos on YouTube. And you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. Or check out the blog, keypersonofinfluence.com. Yeah, and keypersonofinfluence.com we'll link to. That's also where you can find a little bit of a summary of the five skills that Daniel kind of went through. In fact, one thing that's really quite cool and quite powerful is on keypersonofinfluence.com, there's a little link that says uh, scorecard. And scorecard is basically 30 or 40 questions that you can answer. And they're yes, no questions. And they A, they give you a bunch of ideas as to what you can do. And at the end, you actually get a score as to how influential you are in those five areas. That's awesome. So if you go to keypersonofinfluence.com, I see it right on the top of the website, scorecard. You can take this kind of assessment and, and see where you're at and get some input. So that's awesome. Daniel Priestley, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. We really appreciate everything you've offered here. My pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. I'm really grateful that Daniel, he's a very busy guy and he took quite a bit of time out to walk us through his process of building your influence. And I hope you will take him up on it and do some of those things, especially those couple of action steps that he just gave us. And I also want to challenge you to invest in yourself. I want you to continue to build your core skills, your managerial skills, your soft skills, because they're going to take you to where you want to go in your career. And at the Engineering Management Institute, we can really help you do that. One of the best options that we have for you is the Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. It's a five-week online workshop that's going to help you build the skills that you need to succeed to become a better communicator, to learn how to network and build strong relationships. We'll teach you how to be more productive, how to build expertise and master public speaking. And we'll also help you to be a high leverage leader and delegate effectively and do the things that high leverage leaders do. There'll be live skill building sessions, and there's also assignments that you can do and then get some feedback on in our group coaching calls. To check it out, just go to engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. Click on individuals if you're an individual or if you're a company and you want to enroll multiple people, just click on the corporate tab. We'd love to hear your feedback on the episode today with Daniel Priestley. To leave comments and or questions, just go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Click on our podcast tab and look for episode 178 of the Engineering Career Coach podcast. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And don't forget to check out our upcoming live webinar for this month at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Until then, I hope that you continue to engineer your own success. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content 
focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and we'll help you engineer your own success.